playground grime from underneath their fingernails and enjoying one of my most persistent and vivid daydreams, the one that began with two men knocking on my front door. Who were they? Police officers? FBI agents? I'd never figured that out. The younger one wore a beige suit and a clipped inch of sandy mustache, and the older one had a black suit and thinning black hair combed over his bald spot. He was the one who did the talking. There's been a mistake he would tell me, and he'd explain that, due to some glitch I'd never quite fleshed out, bad dream, alternate universe, I'd wound up with someone else's children, living someone else's life. Really? I would ask, careful not to sound too eager. As a woman, these days she was usually the lady from the Swiffer commercial, who danced around to the Devo song, happily dusting, stepped between them, hands planted on her capable hips. There you are, you little scamps, she would say to the children. I'm so sorry for the inconvenience, she'd say to me. No problem, I'd graciously reply, and then she'd say, Telephone. I looked up. My husband stood in the doorway, with his briefcase in one hand and the telephone in the other, staring at me with something that was either disdain or its close first cousin. My heart sank as I realized that getting slopped with the boys' bathwater was the closest I'd come to showering that day. I reached for the phone with one soapy hand. Can you watch them for a sec? Let me just get out of this suit, he said, and vanished down the hall. Translation, see you in an hour. I stifled a sigh and tucked the telephone under my ear. Hello? Kate, it's Kitty Cavanaugh she'd said in her low, cultured voice. I was wondering whether you were free for lunch on Friday. I'd been too shocked to stammer out, sure or yes. I'd wound up saying, shes, even though lunch with Kitty Kavanaugh wasn't high on my to-do list. As far as I was concerned, she represented everything that was wrong with my new hometown. I remember the first time I'd seen Kitty. After a morning of unpacking, I'd driven the kids to the park our realtor had pointed out. I hadn't washed my thick, curly brown hair in three days, and was looking more than a little disheveled. But the other mothers wouldn't mind, I thought, as I pulled into a parking space. As the kids and I walked through the white picket playground gates, we saw four women seated on the green wooden bench by the seesaws. Four women wearing the identical shade of dark pink lipstick— Four formidably groomed, exquisitely fit, terrifyingly capable-looking women. Each one had a monogrammed paisley silk diaper bag slung across her shoulder, like a pink lady jacket. Or an Uzi. Hi, I said. My voice seemed to bounce off the pebbled rubber mats underneath the slides and echo through the swing set. The women took in my outfit— Loose, syrup-stained cargo pants, finger-paint-smeared sneakers, one of my husband's washed-out long-sleeved gray t-shirts with one of my own violet short-sleeved shirts on top, my messy hair, my makeup-free face, the belly and hips I'd been meaning to do something about for the past two years, and, finally, my kids. Jack looked okay, but Sam was clutching his favorite pacifier, which he hadn't used in months, and Sophie had pulled on a tutu over her pajama bottoms. The buff-looking blonde in the middle, in camel-colored boot-cut pants topped with a zippered fleece vest, raised her hand and gave us a semi-smile. Her name, I'd later learn, was Lexi Hagen-Holt, 
and she looked exactly like what she was. A former All-State athlete in soccer and lacrosse, who'd worked as a high school coach before marriage, and had started training for a triathlon six weeks after she'd had baby Briarly. The brunette next to her had shoulder-length light brown hair perfectly streaked and styled, and eyebrows plucked into perfect arches, then dyed to match. She gave us a half of a wave. Her full lips twisted sideways as if she'd tasted something sour. This was Suki Sutherland, in seven jeans and high-heeled, pointy-toed suede boots, the kind of outfit my friend Janie would have worn out clubbing, and I never would have attempted at all. Hi, said the redhead, Carol Gwinnell, at the far end of the bench. She sported a pumpkin-colored sweater with a long skirt in swirling shades of red and orange and gold. Her little gold earrings were clusters of bells that jingled and chimed, and she wore sequined purple slippers trimmed in gold braid.